Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ, Tanda, and Tom. Welcome back, everyone, for episode 22. Our skill of the day is pivoting, which is basically adaptability, but we thought about adaptability and decided to pivot. Tom, what skill class is pivoting? Uh, it's a seven, <clears throat> and we talked about this, and we realized that the maker community is kind of kind of takes this for granted because, for the most part, we're all pretty good at pivoting. So when I say seven, I'm referring to the general population of this great earth, and most people are not good at it. But it's kind of one of the fundamentals of ma- being a maker. Would you agree? I concur, Tanda. I would definitely agree. I think that uh, you know if it's a, if it's a seven out of out of ten that that thirty percent uh, um, in the maker community is rare. That, so, uh, before we get into the uh, fun facts here, I do want to say that one definition that I came across said that uh, adaptability is the ability to see what's right and say that it's wrong and find a way to make it right. So you're taking something that is accepted as being correct, then mentally changing it to something that is incorrect, and then finding out how to move forward with it to make it correct. Because that is what happens when things become obsolete. You know, it was working, it was good technology at the moment, uh, but as time progresses, it becomes no longer useful and you have to adapt or otherwise uh, it's going to, you're going to get left behind. And um, this is something that we're going to go a little deeper into, uh, but I'm going to throw it over to Tanda. What did you find on your research? I found that uh, there are people out there who should be 3D printing by now, and they're not. And uh, and so we haven't talked about it on this podcast as much as we would like because there are people who have yet to buy a 3D printer <clears throat> because they just haven't pivoted yet. But I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that they will, and I'm not going to name uh, uh, any names. R- real quick, PJ. I, I wouldn't do that, but PJ maybe sidebar? some initials. PJ Sidebar. Yeah, Tom. Um, what Tanda is saying is that you're a slacker. Yeah, I know that. I know that. She's, okay. she's calling me out. Yeah, it's... Uh, Perfect. I just, I wanted to make sure that everybody understood that, I- including you. So now that everybody knows who she's talking about, well, we can continue. Yeah, um, well, uh, I'm, I'm going to respond to that with, uh, I had dollars saved up for a 3D printer, but I had to pivot because all of the brake lines on my truck decided to burst while it was parked in my driveway, and that money pivoted its way to the garage to be repaired. So now I am back to where I was before, which is no money for a 3D printer. Oh, I see. I see. I don't I don't actually accept your reasoning, but uh, let's get back to the show. Okay. As you were saying, Tanda? Yeah, I was just saying that... Uh... You know, I mean, it, we're not gonna we're not gonna hold it against you or anything. I mean, Tom and I are pretty adaptable, so we can talk about anything until you get a three D printer, and and we can talk about it. And it's it's kind of a craze, but uh, and it's gone too far in some places. I saw online a guy printing brake lines, three D printed brake lines. Like I don't know who would install those on a vehicle, but uh, you know, so some people have taken it too far. 
but uh, I bet I bet those are pretty cheap to print. Yeah, yeah, they're not bad. You just have to make sure you use the right plastic. I bet I bet you could buy a printer and print them for less than you could buy the real parts for. Yeah, possibly, possibly. I'll, I'll throw it over to Tom. What's your What'd you find on uh, pivoting? Well, you know, this was a tough topic for me to not research, and um, <clears throat> but I managed. I managed, and uh, there's a story uh, back in the '70s, re- really about 1968, where uh, the the Pringles company was actually meant to make tennis balls. But on the day that all the rubber was supposed to show up, a truckload of potatoes arrived, and they just said, uh, "Cut them up." So instead of making tennis balls, they made uh, they made potato chips, and uh, that's the rest of the story. Is that a true story? No, that's a Mitch Hedberg bit, and I love him, so that's not a true story at all. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's a brilliant bit. I, I, I did not even do it justice. But if you notice, the Pringle shape is very close to the shape of half a tennis ball. That's true. That's true. I was wondering why you got out the uh, mirrored glasses and, and then the long wig. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, yeah. And I'm not even drinking tonight. That's weird. Ironically enough, I was not wondering about that when you got out the glasses and the wig. <laughs> Was yeah, like it. was that the sum total, Tom, of your non-research? Yeah, I thought we were talking about something else tonight, as usual. I thought this we... time it was real, though. <laughs> Do you want to explain to everybody why you thought that we were talking about something else? I don't know the answer. <laughs> I thought we were going to talk about sewing. <laughs> And I was going to talk about suing. That's what you spent the whole week not researching. I I not researched <laughs> suing for like the whole week. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure it was uh, it was difficult. I mean, there were probably some opportunities that it popped up, and you could have read it, and you had to turn away. Listen, once we change our group name to the, our topic, it is very hard for the YouTube algorithm for me to ignore the proper thing that makes total sense like once we verbally say it here like my the algorithm goes crazy and it is hard to avoid the topic that we're going to be talking about ever since you started changing our group text to the name of the next podcast i I now can't find it sometimes (laughs) and i'm just looking through the my list of texts and i'm like pivoting i'm in a pivoting group Oh man, I didn't even know. Why is it now our our chat our texting is now a donut? Why is the icon a donut? Because it's a it's cute. And <laughs> cute. I don't have an icon for any other text thread, so it stands out. I don't I don't think I've ever heard a a, a donut referred to as cute, but okay. I'm doing my best to participate and I feel like I'm being attacked and I don't appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> You're on the wrong podcast, Tom. That's, a, um, <laughs> that's that's very good, Tom. And and is there anything else you would like to tell us while, while you're Here's sharing? Your gold star. While, you, while you're holding the sharing stick. While while you're wearing the Mitch Hedberg sharing wig. Tom's got the sharing it's sharpie. Just, it's just a sharpie. It's just a sharpie. Oh man. No, nothing nothing more. Uh you've got all you're getting out of me. PJ, what'd you find? So I knew that there was no way to research pivoting, so I, I went with our 
original word, which was adaptability. And I found some... Don't take my bit. Don't take my bit, PJ. All I do is take your bits, Tom. That's uh, that's all you offer me. So you know, I got I got to go with it. You know, I'm I'm pivoting. I'm pivoting. You know, so uh, I found, like I said, some interesting things. One thing that I found was from a associate professor at the University of Missouri named Patrick J. Roddinghaus, and he said adaptability is an important survival skill even before the pandemic, given all the changes to the economy that were forcing people to shift jobs, move to different cities, and switch schools every so often. And the capacity to cope and capitalize on change is the ability to recover when unforeseen events alter life plans. That's adaptability in his words. And then we come to Sue L. Matolsky, who's an associate professor at the psychology department of Lesley University. And she basically said that most people think that adaptability is a personality trait, but adaptability can be learned. Uh, Look at people who have had to work from home now during the pandemic, and people have adapted by doing Zoom meetings online. So adaptability can also be a trial by fire by being forced into a situation and realizing that you have no other choice but to adapt. So I there was a whole bunch of other things, but that, that kind of sounded like the highlights to me. So then I went to, let's say, a respected source. I went to Forbes magazine, and they had a list of 14 traits of adaptable people, pivoters, as we're going to call them. And the first thing it said is that adaptable people experiment, which I agree. You got to be able to take an idea and try something new. It's kind of like the definition of being adaptable, but it also means that you have an emotional tolerance and a mental fortitude uh, to face uncertainty. That's what an experiment is. Then the second thing is adaptable people see opportunity where others see failure. Uh, this kind of goes back to the something being right, and then you classify it as wrong, and then you have to adopt what you now believe is the new right. It's, it's definitely not a normal mindset to have. Uh, number three is adaptable people are resourceful. I think that describes almost every maker I know. Um, you know, you can take away someone's resources, but you can't stop them from being resourceful. Number four, adaptable people think ahead. Mm, I think some adaptable people think ahead. I think a lot of adaptable people just deal with the situation when it hits them in the face. That's that's me personally. Number five, adaptable people don't whine. I'm not going to agree with that. Uh, I think that a lot of adaptable people whine just because maybe that is a personality trait. Um, But it doesn't mean that they're not still adaptable. Number six, adaptable people talk to themselves. Well, seeing as how me, Tom, and Tanda talk to ourselves once a week, I think that's proven. Yeah, that's definitely. uh, But it basically says. Say so. It says that engaging in self-talk is the single greatest habit uh, you can learn in order to release pressure and uh, f- and figure out your own problems. Basically, by, by voicing it, you hear it, and when you hear it, it makes you think alternatively. So, huh. it's interesting. Number seven, adaptable people don't blame. Uh, they're not 
victims and they don't ever see themselves as victims. And I kind of agree with that, you know. Uh, number eight, adaptable people don't claim fame. Well, that's 100% because none of us are famous for sure. This podcast is going nowhere. <laughs> no, but I would totally claim it. I mean, I... I would claim... If it was there, I'd claim it. Hey, is this copy of fame yours? Uh, yeah, so are the leg warmers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if the leg warmer fits, you must have quit. So... Yes, I'm going to say you can claim fame, but apparently, according to Forbes, you shouldn't. I don't know. Number nine, adaptable people are curious. Uh, this is kind of like the core value of um, pivoting and adaptability is curiosity. And without it, you cannot be adaptable because there's no way for you to um, dig into things that you're not already presented with curiosity drives you to dig into things that you don't understand or don't know or haven't seen before so this is an essential part of adaptability uh, number 10 adaptable people adapt come on forbes you, you just you just wanted <laughs> an, yeah you just wanted an Mind even blown. number yeah I'm, I'm not really come on really uh, number that's 11 that's a cheap that's a cheap number 10 yeah, well, it says 14 things. If it was 13, then it would be like the unlucky, you know what I mean? So they had it, right. but they threw it in the middle so that they kind of like slide it on by. Yeah, kind of sneak it in. Yeah, I think Forbes is going downhill. I don't even know if they print magazines anymore. Number 11, adaptable people stay current. Mm, I'm going to disagree with this. What do you guys think? I think in many ways that's that's true in the sense that you you are ready for change. You kind of know what's going on and you're, you know, like businesses that have remained in their same business model forever and ever and didn't really see the writing on the wall. So I think it kind of, if you're staying current, it makes it easier to adapt. I don't know if that's necessarily in reverse is true. I'll agree with that. I think for, for businesses is definitely important and being that people make up businesses, that is true. Uh for me personally, that's not really true. I try to avoid the news and uh, the negativity that kind of swirls around. So I don't know that I'm necessarily ever current, uh, but I am informed by other people. But again, hmm. don't think that's really being current personally. Number 12, adaptable people see systems. Uh, and by systems, they mean instead of seeing... Uh, a few trees, people see a forest, and they understand that everything uh, works together as a system. Uh, I think that this is talking more about being able to chain things together. Tom? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I hear that a little differently. Um, it's still in line with it, but I think in terms of systems where I like to solve problems with solutions that can handle future change. I think I said that okay. Yeah, I, I understand. I mean, and I'm very much, very much the same way. Yeah, the solution isn't, you know, a, a yes or no. It's a system in which things can evolve within it, or it's a set of parameters that continues to solve the, solve for the goal 
even though the inputs may change over time. So I call this, and this is something that I have adopted many years ago, this is the solution of options. And why it might, might not sound very clear, the solution of options means if you have something that has lots of options, lots of available choices, it offers you multiple solutions. So that's kind of what you're talking about, Tom. When you're, when you're solving something, you're in a way leaving it open so that there's more adaptability built into the thing. So you're leaving yourself more options versus something that has, say, a single purpose, and when that purpose is no longer usable, it is now a worthless item. Yeah, it's kind of like, <clears throat> it's instead of writing down the instructions like, the cup goes on the shelf, instead you write, cups go on the shelf. Like, <laughs> it's broader, and it's more general, and it's, I don't know. There's cups on my shelf over here. I think that's what maybe Well, maybe, maybe you'd put, instead of the cup goes on the shelf, you could put containers go on the shelf. And anything that's a yeah, container. Yeah, it's more flexible yeah. and, and allows for error and allows, it, you know, one wrong move doesn't break the system. Right. Yeah, I kind of see that as what you were saying was uh, there was something wrong with the thing you're moving away from. And so instead of just creating a new thing, then you're also looking at why the old thing hit a roadblock. And so you're saying, I'm going to make a new thing, but I'm also going to try to make the new thing where it's less susceptible to all these similar roadblocks. Exactly. All right. So number 13 is adaptable people open their minds. And this means what they're referring to is that they're willing to listen to other people's points of view so that they're not limited to their own thinking. And I agree with this 100%. If you uh, aren't able to take in information from other people, if you, if you think that you're always right and everybody else is wrong, uh, that is going to cut you off from a lot of alternative thinking, which is what we're talking about here. Pivoting and adaptability is alternative thinking. And I think by definition, you have to be able to listen to other people in order to be an alternative thinker um, versus listening to no one and you're a solitary thinker. So it's more almost, it's sort of like a, almost a hive mind, in my opinion. And then we have number 14, which is that adaptable people know what they stand for. And I think this comes, this is, uh, there's, there's a couple different ways to look at this. I see that as being adaptable people are confident in their abilities, that they're able to, something comes to them that they have to, you know, change or they have to deal with some problem or whatever that they weren't expecting. And rather than freak out or, you know, basically become immobilized or, or, or just throw the thing out or whatever, they look at it as an opportunity. They know that they have the ability to move forward to find a way around it, to repair the thing, to get the same result through different means. And that comes from being confident, which is, I think, another way of saying you know what you stand for. Well, I think that that is definitely a learned skill, though. I don't think people are just naturally confident. I mean, maybe, mis maybe mistakenly so, but um, there's certainly the whole Dunning-Kruger effect. But I think that people have to face a problem, 
and work their way through that pivot and that change and and get some little successes and then some more successes and kind of continually flex that muscle. And I'm that way with things that I, even things I've done in the past, but it's been a long time since I've done them. Sometimes I have to, you know, do a little self-talk, as you said earlier, to kind of build myself up to diving back in again and remembering how I did it and finding the tools and resources again. But I think that people's natural position on that is is to kind of fall back from it or shy away from it. So I think you keep having to exercise that muscle or that's how I, I am about it. I've been thinking uh, the last couple of months over um, about kids and how one of the main problems that kids have present day is a lack of confidence. And so I was thinking, how can you instill confidence in a child? What's the process? Because I, I do agree with you, Tenda. It's not something you're born with. It is, it is a learned thing. Personally, uh, I use a tool called neglect, and uh, I've had a lot of, lot of success with it. That's how I was raised. Yeah, just, uh, just put me in the shop, lock the door, go to work, let me out when you get home sort of thing, you know. <laughs> okay. I, I'm, maybe that's the, what I'm about to say. I'm not really sure. But the conclusion I came to was you're confident when you know what you can do. If you know you can do something, then it doesn't matter what anybody says because you already know that you can do it. So in my mind, the way to make a child confident is you have to allow them to do things and they have to know that they're doing those things well, not like an attaboy, but like if you build something and it doesn't fall apart, you did a good job versus you put three nails in, you try to stand it up and it just turns into firewood. You know, I think that that's that's part of it. But there's more. I think that, you know, it, as a as a parent, I think that there's almost always something that you can find done well in any project or any task that you can home in on and and talk about how that was done well. And there are parents who will find anything that was done wrong, and and that's kind of where they go. I was at a customer's this weekend installing some electronics, and their young kids, fairly young, elementary school age, were doing some kind of online dance lesson. Mm-hmm. So they're like clicking away in the other room doing tap dancing or something, and I hear the instructor coming over the Skype call, and the instructor is saying, Tom. Tom, that was horrible. That was horrible. And and I didn't hear her once say, Oh, you know, you know, Dolly, you nailed that. That was that was awesome. It was it was constant finding what was wrong. And I think that that, uh, that can destroy confidence. I think it's also important though to be it's I don't think it's good to be negative all the time, but I think it's good to be honest when you're talking about Like, in other words, let's say the kid is doing something and part of it is horrific and the other part of it is good. Of course, it's it's good to point out the good part. But if you say that everything is good, then they think the horrible part is good, too. And then they're going to get blindsided when somebody else is like, no, that's total garbage. Yeah. Yeah. But you want to lead with the you want to lead with the good, I feel. And then and uh, and help with the bad. 
right, not, uh, right. not criticize. Right. My son just started doing martial arts and he's got a very good teacher. And I noticed the teacher likes to, he almost never points out when anyone is doing anything wrong. You know, small corrections like, oh, switch your feet or switch your hands mm-hmm. or whatever, that stuff. Mm-hmm. But he almost always tries to find the kid that did it right and just say, hey, that's perfect. Great job. And all the other kids look at that kid and go, oh, that's right. Okay, I'll do that. And it's just such a small teaching technique, but it's it's really powerful. Well, that that exact same thing is one of the things I was trying to reconcile. And I'm sure every parent on the planet has had this. And a kid brings you something that's like a scribble on a paper. And they're like, look, I made a horse. you know. And of course, it doesn't look anything like a horse. I think that the thing to do for that is give them an example that they can look at. So even if it's something simple, like go online, get a get a hand-drawn picture of a simple horse and give it to them and say, that horse looks pretty good. Here's something else that's also a horse. Can you draw this? And then they have something physical that they can look at that they could try to then copy and emulate and get better. Because st- almost all kids, when they draw stuff, they're not looking at anything. It's just coming straight, like stream of consciousness. So right. I think mm-hmm. it's it's important to give them examples so that they have something to judge against versus just, you know, either telling them, oh, it's fantastic or it's total garbage. You want to encourage them, right. but you also want to give them support. And right. that's that's how I think you could do that. I can give you a similar example. Um, so my son is, he's six years old, and he's just learning how to do push-ups, right? And we don't think of push-ups as something you have to learn, but when you're six, you have to learn it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's they're not very complicated, but your form is important, and keeping your back straight and your butt down and things like that are important. But as a six-year-old, you don't realize what your body is doing most of the time. And uh, he's really good at them for being six and just starting to do them. And I'm amazed that he can go down like, you know, like a three-quarter push-up, right? You know, not halfway down, not parallel. You know, his, his arms aren't parallel to the floor or anything yet. But he's doing really well. And I, in your example, I took a video of him from the side so that he could see what his body's doing. And it just, you know, it wasn't, it's not a criticism. It's not like, oh, you're doing this bad. It's just, hey, check this out. This is what it actually looks like. Mm-hmm. And it's something you can't see while you're in it. Um, yeah. Well, just to just to kind of bring this back full circle to pivoting, um, I think those, all of those little teachable moments are very pivotal in in a uh-huh. child's, I mean, and, and, and we don't even realize how, you know, there were things in in my life where an adult was really impressed with something I did that pushed me in the direction of making things. And and there are instances where an adult doesn't appreciate or even berates a, a kid's efforts towards something that pushes them in a, in a completely different direction. And I think that kind of makes or breaks that maker mentality in a kid when they're when they're starting out. It can really steer them in one direction or another to say, oh, I'm really bad at making things or creating things or art or whatever it might be um, versus, you know, same kids, same artwork, completely different direction. So on that note, I think it is very important to encourage children 
for those very reasons. But at the same time, knowing yourself means knowing your limits. So you're not going to be good at everything. It's important to know where your strengths are. And I think it's the same thing for children. They're going to try a lot of things. They're not going to be good at a lot of things, but other things they're going to really excel at. So that's also a an idea that they need to be um, exposed to. You're not going to be great at everything, but you should try everything to find what it is you're great at. Agreed. I disagree. You've just entered the dealer's corner where bargains are currency. Prepare yourself. All right. It's been uh, an okay week, I'd say. Not not a spectacular week, but Tom got something, and so did I. But Tom, I'm going to let you go first. Oh, buddy. This is an epic story. So I went to my local transfer station, a.k.a. the dump, and I had a little piece of scrap metal to throw out, so it did. And in the giant pile of scrap, I found a craftsman, I think it's five and a quarter or five and three quarter wood plane, uh, joiner, sorry, wood jointer. And it's like one of those, it's that tiny one that you see on Facebook Marketplace all the time. Uh, you can pick it up. It's probably only 40-ish pounds. It was rough. Like everything was rusted. I'm not even sure if it works. I'm actually not going to turn it on until I've gone through the whole thing. But it has a three-quarter horsepower motor, Wow! which is, I know, and it's tiny. It's the size of, like, two baseballs, you know, next to each other in cylinder form. So that was cool. Um, I don't get a lot of stuff from the dump anymore. They kind of changed policies and stuff since, mostly since COVID, but people used to just leave stuff next to the giant dumpster. And you could just go up and grab stuff. And now they they clear it out and they don't let you put stuff down there anymore. But the metal bin is like up top where nobody's looking. Mm. And you have to like drive up and around. And uh, you can kind of camp out there all day if you really wanted to. Which I do want to. But (laughs) that's it. Um, I kind of grabbed it because I was like, you know, I have a pretty decent size 8-inch joiner. I was like, if I want to do small stuff, this is... This might be a good idea. So we'll see. We'll see what it turns into. Cool. That's a great find. Just thinking about Did you say it was a five and a quarter inch jointer? Yeah, hold on. He's off and running. And now he's out of there. I'm thinking that little motor, it's probably a three quarter like Shetland pony. There's probably some fine fine print there. It's probably not a three quarter horse, like a full horse. It's probably like a Shetland, three quarter Shetland pony. It's a three quarter dog. It's cooler. Oh my God. They can't hear me. I was wrong about the numbers. It is cooler than that. Oh. It is a 7 eighths horsepower, and it is a 5 and 1 eighth uh, joiner. Wow. I thought it was like a 4 inch. Like, I thought they were normally like 4 inch, those really small ones. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's it's sizable, but it's still a very small tool, so. What, what What year would you say this is, Tom? 90s. 90s. I don't know, but 90s. You know, classic black craftsman stuff. All right, so I'm going to propose something that I read a while back about motors. In the in the olden days, uh, the vintage motors, um, they were bigger, but the horsepower was accurate. And as the 
motors became smaller and newer, what they started doing was they started listing the peak horsepower on there. It is. It, under it says something like fully developed or something. Right. So that is like the maximum that it could actually be. But realistically, it's probably going to be like a half horsepower. I'm sure. Yeah. I, I have so, no doubt. That's, but you know. that's still a lot of horsepower for a tiny little thing. That's I awesome. I found it online. I'll send you an image and uh, you can post it. I got a deal, which I'm going to call the Relay Race deal. Uh, I was looking on Facebook Marketplace and I found a Rockwell Model 470 Type 2 heavy-duty 7-inch disc sander. This is the kind where it basically looks like an angle grinder and the uh, the sanding disc has a screw going through the middle. One of those jobbers. Nice. Now, the guy's name was Ed, and he lived in, he well, he still lives in Haverford, Pennsylvania, which is a suburb of Philadelphia. So, in other words, not close to me. I messaged the guy, and, well, before I messaged him... I actually messaged Dave from Parts and Restoration. And I said, hey, man, um, how far are you from Haverford? And it turns out it wasn't too far away from where Dave lived. And I said, would you mind picking this up for me? And he's like, yeah, sure. So I gave Dave Ed's information. The two of them talked, and they arranged a meeting time. And right after that happened, like I told Dave, I was like, I'll just – the problem was I couldn't pay for it Um online the guy would only take cash so i'm like i'll just i'll give you cash or i'll send you money dave you know whatever you want and before we'd even arranged anything or decided that my buddy kyle is like hey i'm going down to villanova which is another suburb of philadelphia to pick up a delta rockwell radial drill press do you have anything down there you need me to pick up <laughs> nice yeah. and i'm like it's funny you should ask <laughs> So um, Kyle went down on Sunday, and uh, Dave had to run out, so he left the sander in, in like a drop box uh, outside his house, and Kyle just left him cash and then took the sander and, and brought it up to me um, on Sunday, and then we hung out for like three hours in the shop, and I've now got this. Um, this was, weirdly enough, this was the first Rockwell uh, like buffer sander that I've seen, even angle grinder. I've never seen a Rockwell angle grinder. Uh, and this is vintage. This is the red label Rockwell from like the 50s and 60s. And right after I got this, 20 bucks, I got this for, okay? Right after I got it, Monday, I saw another one that I think was maybe a few years newer for $50, you know, and this is probably like a $100 tool used. So that was it. That's my whole story. I'm thrilled to have it. And it's got a parts and recreation uh, sticker right on it. it. Sidebar, sidebar, Tom? Yeah. Tom, hey, yep, um, yep. PJ always has like clever names for his deals. Like the like this was the relay race deal. And he's got the round trip deal and all. And I... You know, I don't I don't get a lot of deals and do a lot of bargain hunting and stuff. So I think you need to kind of up your game a little bit and like I, like today should have been something like, you know, you know, stuff I built from crap at the tilt. I like that. As soon as he named his, I went, "Oh man, I didn't name mine. I felt foolish and and a little embarrassed." 
Yeah. I'll be honest. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But, so maybe we can brainstorm a little bit before next week. And, you know, if you find something, we'll, we'll, yeah. you know, find, find a good name for it. Well, even if I don't, I'll just make, I'll just make it up and then we can work on something. I mean, that's, that's how most of the shows paste it together. Yeah, definitely. Just, just come up. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be great. I mean, you know, BJs are okay, but you know, just come up with a name for it. You got to give it a name. You're all the bargains have to have a name. I think on this show, it's, it's like a, think, it's a thing. Oh, I mean, he hasn't written me up for it yet, which is why I haven't really acted on it. But um, if he starts writing me up for it, I'm going to, I'll get on it. Yeah, that's kind of how we work. You know, we just push the limit until we get written up and then we take action. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. He's coming back. Were those deals hot enough for you? You got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket? Send it in. Maybe we'll read it on air. All right. It's time for personal pivoting history. Tanda, you got a story for us about a uh, personal pivot? I don't know if I have any one story that really stands out, but I, you know, I think that as a maker, we're just constantly pivoting. I mean, today at work, I probably you know, which is essentially like being paid to be a maker. I I probably pivoted four times and it was, uh, you know, you're building this mechanism, this robot to handle parts and you're cruising along and, and they're four inch parts and they have a a barcode on them and you've got some kind of imaging stuff going. It seems to be working good. And you go to a meeting and find out for the first time, Oh, we also have we also have parts we need to do that are only a centimeter square and some that are only 0.3 centimeters square. Are you going to be able to handle those along with the 6-inch parts? And 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 then it just has this ripple effect and I think that that's kind of the nature of pivoting is especially if you're building things from scrap or things found around the shop, you have something in mind and you're headed off down that path and it's, it and everything is kind of laid out at least in your mind or in your sketchbook and then the only material you have is 3 quarter inch instead of a quarter inch and so you're like well I can make it out of that but then I'm going to have to change these bolts and I can't weld it anymore I'm going to have to drill this hole here and I'm you know and then it just ripples and then you get comfortable with it again you kind of create that path forward and it gets you a few steps forward and then you know, there's the next thing that you can't get, or you go to buy the part and they're out of it, or it's obsolete. And it's just kind of this series of pivots. And I think that there are people who, who have a really hard time dealing with that and, and don't do very well in an environment where it's just constantly pivoting one, one right after another. But I think most of our audience is probably pretty good at it and actually um, get some some sense of accomplishment out of continually solving the next problem. I think that that has a lot to do with being change averse. Uh, When people don't want change to occur, they like things the way that they are. And if change does happen, it's like their world starts to crack Um, versus makers where we're constantly trying to crack the world that's that's like our purpose we're 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 like oh i don't like this shape let's make it a different shape you know it doesn't matter what shape it is right and i think stress pushes um 
pushes that that tendency or that ability in whatever your direction is. So I think if the stress level goes up or the the you know the odds get worse, makers just keep going, and other people, uh, you know, you see restaurants and stuff with this past year and the coronavirus epidemic that just folded, just closed. And you see other restaurants that started renting a tent and drug a whole bunch of tables outside and asked the landlord if they could use the sidewalk in front of the restaurant, mm-hmm. bought, you know, propane heaters. They just kept going. They just kept solving problems as problems came up and others just closed their doors. I, I'm going to refer back to when I was in um, Brooklyn a couple of weeks ago. And I mentioned that there was like a fleet of bicycle delivery guys, way more than I saw when I lived there. And that that's that's it. I mean, these these places are adapting to stay alive. That's what you got to do. I agree with you 100%. Tom, you got any personal pivoting stories you want to share? Yeah, something I've learned about myself is <clears throat> is that I'm I am very good at this particular skill. So much so that in any given thing that I do, I I basically become useless at it after a certain amount of time. Uh, In the sense that, uh, I'll give a couple examples. Um, When I started running my own store years and years ago um, for a wireless company, I basically got into this store that wasn't doing well. And for a year, I, I turned things around quite a bit. I put some new systems in place for the employees. I, I was able to motivate them to do things that they were unmotivated to do before, uh, mostly cold calling. But I found a way to make it make sense. And I found, you know, these things to implement to make it work for them. But after about a year, I'm just not the guy to sustain that environment. Mm-hmm. I am bored out of my mind. Mm-hmm. And there are people that are great at that next phase. Uh, another example is um, we launched a church in Illinois and I very quickly took over for production. So all the audio and video and things like that. Oh, you, um, you videoed it as well? I mean, that, that must have been amazing. Is it on YouTube? You, you launching yeah, actually, the church? Was it, yeah, like yes. a giant trebuchet or something. How high did it go? Uh, well, we used we used uh, peroxide as our propulsion. It was really cool. But so we launched this church, and it was in a rental space. So everything had a you know we had a full band. So there's you know four or five piece band um, with full audio equipment and things like this. And it took a lot of work. And and volunteers are in short supply. And I, I am just, I'm the guy to get it started. I'm the guy to say, do it like this and, and keep evolving it. And I told the pastor around a year, I told the pastor, I go, listen, I think we're good. And I think you should have me do something else now. <laughs> Cause I'm just not the guy for, I don't want to say I'm not stable, but that position now needs a stable leader that can stop changing things in a really good way. And I want to keep reinventing it every single time. And that can be destructive after after a while. So when I'm hearing you 
say this stuff, Tom, immediately it it, ring, it brings up two things for me. The first thing is something that I have been, it's been in my awareness for a while, but the example I'm going to give you is April Wilkerson. She started out by herself, and she's been building up this business, like this woodworking empire, let's say, uh, to where she mm -hmm. has the store, she has her own workshop, she's got people working for her, and she's she's moved into a semi-managerial position and very successful, 100%. However, this is something that I don't want to do. I do not want to build a business to the point where I have people doing the things that I want to be doing and I'm basically telling them what to do. I don't want to be a manager of people. I want to have something that is successful enough that I can do it and enjoy myself doing it without having to lose any of that that taste, you know, the thing that got me into it. So that's a very fine line when you're when you're operating a business. You have to be careful you're not you're not overstepping. You got to know like where you want to go. I think that's something that's taken me a long time to learn that I may just now be learning is that I, I like to do and be the person doing the hands-on to my own detriment, I think, from a business person point of view. And I couldn't find a way out of that because like you, I didn't want to just be a people manager. But I think I'm finding a way out of that by being a, a people mentor, which is, is different mm -hmm. than just you know hiring people and managing them. I'm finding some opportunities now where... I'm getting to help people learn things to basically replace me and and I'm okay with that. Um, but just telling them how to do it over and over and, and hiring the next person because the last person wasn't able to get it and do it um, was it was difficult when I had you know a handful of people working for me. And there were people who were kind of of the mindset that they wanted to learn more and more. And I interacted with those people without any problem. I just kept giving them more more to do and teaching them more. Um, so if I can find a way to be an educator or a mentor, then I'm fine with that situation. But if I'm just keeping you on task and you're not interested in learning anything new, you're just showing up, I, I struggle with that. Yeah, that's the difference between people that are motivated and people that are unmotivated. And I, I try to surround myself with motivated people. That is, that's, and for several years, that meant that I had very few people around me for that very reason. Um, it's the same thing with people that have negative attitudes. If I find out that you're one of those people that loves to complain all the time and everything is terrible, I don't want to be around you. Do you think that um, because, I mean, I take in a lot of maker content on social media and because you're seeing this constant influx of problem solving and typically, more often than not, the solution, not, not the struggle. Although some people are really good about illustrating the struggle. Do you think that kind of slights you toward, yeah, Tom, Tom's pointing at himself, you know. <laughs> I, I rarely show solutions. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, I, I, but I, and I think that's, I think that adds some balance because I think that um, you start to question your ability to solve problems 
when you see just one person after another coming up with clever solution after clever solution, you know, and maybe, maybe they only have one clever solution a year, but if you're following, you know, a thousand people, you're, you're seeing a handful of them a day and you start to think, man, I'm, I'm not, I'm not solving problems at the rate I should be solving problems. I, I wish that that was my experience. Exactly what you just described. That's not my experience with social media. <laughs> not even close. Every once in a while, there I, I'll see somebody that they come up with a solve or a solution. But a lot of the stuff I see is just like, I don't want to be mean, but a lot of it is just mundane nonsense. You know, like I'm really tired of seeing the video start with somebody's mixing epoxy. You know, uh, yeah, colored epoxy is cool, but you know, it, it's like I'm not I'm not anti epoxy at all, but it's just like they make the epoxy the center point, and it's like that's something anybody could do. It doesn't matter who you are if you've got the epoxy and you've got color. As long as you don't mix it wrong, it's going to come out. You know what I mean? Like it's not it's not anything complicated. I would love to see more troubleshooting. Um, on Instagram and problem solving and stuff like that. Um, but we've we've kind of talked about this before. Uh, a good chunk of the maker community is not problem solving heavy. They're great at making things. They're great at building things. But they're not like like I know I've personally talked to several people where they know I pull things apart and they'll show me something neat. And my immediate question is, did you take it apart? And they're like, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm not like you. <laughs> Make it sound like I'm a Martian. No, you could, you could take it apart. It's got screws. Oh, no, I, I'm afraid to take it apart. And, you know, it, it's <laughs> I, to me, it's such a foreign concept when I hear people talk that way. It just it I don't even know how to respond. I like I try to encourage them, but they just won't do it. So I guess what I'm trying to say is. I, I, if that's the, what you're seeing, Tanda, I need to start deleting people and start subscribing to whoever it is that you're watching, because that's not what I see. Well, I mean, I, I see some that I don't watch, I mean, or that I don't watch the whole thing, but if it's intriguing and it's, you know, it's someone that's, that's come up with a, a clever approach to something. I see a lot of machining videos and stuff that, you know, people come up with, you know, clever workarounds or ways to make their own shop built stuff. That's, that's really interesting. So, but yeah, and I'm not, I'm not afraid of taking things apart, even though I took apart a pair of barber clippers when I was young and determined that there was just no way they were going to work. There was nothing usable inside and, uh, and then cut the cord off because it was the only thing that was of any use to me. Mm-hmm. And I, and I learned you you should unplug it first. Oh, yeah, that's it's the lesson you won't forget. Yeah, before you before you try to cut it off with a pair of old pliers. Uh, thinking about people that are innovative and problem solvers, um, who I have seen recently do several things repeatedly, is Pete Squared. I don't know if that's the full name of his account on Instagram, but he's been doing things regularly. I, he's the one person I see that's making things for the shop. That is, I look at him and go, oh, that's a good idea. I should do that. So I'm mm-hmm. um, throwing it out there to Pete. I, I don't I don't think I've interacted with Pete before, um, but his, his channel has some good stuff. Yeah. No, I'm often just, okay, I'll file that away. 
just just make a take a mental note and and all you have to do is have have seen it have, and then it's and then it's there and then when you hit that problem and you're at that pivot point you go ah i remember seeing that video and you've just got one more you know little little trick up your sleeve mhm so for me personally my my uh, personal pivot story here uh, I have, in case I haven't mentioned it before, I have a horrendous memory. I, I don't remember things like, I don't remember last week for the most part. You know, that's, that's, it's been like this. I, I joke about it, but it's true. I hit 20 and my memory just went straight downhill. So there are certain benefits to having a bad memory. Uh, number one, because you don't remember things, you don't really stress out about stuff unless it's happening right now. So most people stress about stuff that happened in the past that they, you know, they regret or, you know, they made bad mistakes or whatever. I don't think about that stuff because I don't remember it. <laughs> it's just that's just how it is. So everything for me is for the most part present tense. Whatever is happening is what I'm focused on. If we go into the workshop, that is how I set everything up. I have uh yeah, Tom. What, what PJ, real quick, what's this have to do with sewing? Sewing is next week's topic, Tom. Oh, glad you remembered that. Continue. Okay. So in my shop, I have about, let's say, so... 15 different things. Stop talking about sewing. I have about 15 different things going at the same time. Okay? And the reason is I have attention deficit disorder. So I move from one thing to the next thing. So I'm literally pivoting all the time from one thing to the next thing because that's how I get things done. I don't sit there really and work on one thing until it's finished rarely unless it's something quick. Most things, for instance, I have the uh, Delta floor model drill press that I have been uh painting abstract artwork on for James from uh, Universal Woodworker. I have been working on that since the summer. Like it's been months and months and it's almost done. But uh, I am constantly going between that and like 14 other things. So all I do is pivot. But to give a specific example, uh, if you remember, I talked about, I don't think, I, I don't remember if I talked about it on maybe one of the pre-episodes I had that big haul at the beginning of July this past summer where I had 400 tools that I'd picked up out of a storage unit and they had to go somewhere. In my in the dungeon I had built this uh pretty standard lumber rack with wheels, this lumber cart which is basically just like a frame to hold things upright. And I had to empty that out and put all of the wood somewhere else so that I could fill it up with 140 circular saws. That's not what that was built for, but that's what pivoting is about. You you have to figure, it's gotta go somewhere. So this is this was the most logical place for it to be. And, and that's it, that's all I do all day long is, is pivot from one thing to the next because I'm, I'm constantly just what's in front of me. Sucky darn, I think it's time for one of them old-timey commercial interview lubes and stuff. 
Hi, y'all. This is Edna down at Johnson's Hardware. You ever get to a spot in your shop where you're just stuck and you need something to open up your mind to get the juices flowing again? Well, we have just the thing. Pivotal. Pivotal is all you need. One dose of Pivotal will get those juices flowing like they've never flowed before. And to top it off, it's chocolate covered. That's about all I need to say. It just works. But I do have some fine print I need to read. Pivotal may cause diarrhea, headaches, back pain, blurred vision, constipation, athlete's foot, arthritis, hallucinations, visual and auditory, itchy butt, swollen tongue, flatulence, runny nose, hair loss, and eye twitch. Pivotal is processed in a facility that also processes LSD, DMT, peyote, and peanuts. You can pick it up today at Johnson's Hardware. A 50-tablet bottle is just $17.95, and it comes with a cotton ball in the top that you can use for dabbing epoxy. So come on down to Johnson's Hardware. You'll find us at patreon.com forward slash makerskills. Well, Dagnabbit, I need to get me one of them. Anyone know what street Patreon is on? I need to go. All right, it's time for crossbreeding. Tom, what skill goes well with pivoting? Uh, I didn't give this any thought. Hold on. Tanda, what skill goes well with pivoting? <laughs> I'm going to say flexibility goes well with pivoting. Design. I think that uh, it, it's it's just critical to try to keep that that mindset of there is no one right way to do things and... Uh, and that you need to remain flexible, especially when you've really have a lot of buy-in. Uh, if you're on a team or something where you've really thought things through and then things change. And it's almost, I, I, at least I'm very visual and I will have already built something in my head, played with it, found some errors, found some problems, think it's probably as ideal as I can make it. And then someone will introduce a variable. And I have to kind of take a breath and step back and and say, you know, you're right. That that could be a problem. Let's let's redesign. And uh, so I think flexibility goes well with uh, pivoting. I agree. I agree. I think that's a hundred percent. That's uh, it's practically uh, in the DNA. Tom, did you come up with something? Yeah, I got something. Uh, I'm gonna say curiosity. It's it's my favorite thing to do in the shop. It, I just I'm genuinely curious about the things I'm working on, and I really enjoy uh, observing and and f- seeing things that uh, other people usually just glaze over, you know. And those are the things I like to share. I like to point those things out to people. So I think curiosity is real a really important skill to go with pivoting. Sidebar. Tanda, mm-hmm. should we just let Tom think that curiosity is a skill, or, or should I call him out on it? Mother, I, I think that uh, I I think we can we can let him slide. Although it's a little bit of an awkward one, curiosity. You know, I mean, most things you can just add an ing, but curiosity is uh, it's it's a bit cumbersome. So let's let's let him run with it this time, and and we'll just kind of keep an eye on him. Okay. All right, all right. He's back. Tom, that was a great answer. Yeah. So cur- I'm. I. With that said, I'm curious. What uh, what you think, PJ? And if you say design, I'm just gonna 
walk away. I would never do that to you, Tom. Perfect. I'm going to say organization. I think that mm. organization is a great asset to pivoting because as I'm thinking about my shop, when I have to move quickly from one thing to the next, I know where everything is. It's all organized in a methodology that is comfortable to me. If everything was disorganized, it'd be a little harder to pivot and move from one thing to the next. It would be, everything would get slowed down, slow the process down. So um, I guess maybe a, a subset of that would be efficiency, but I'm saying organization is the main skill. I'm going to say there's a correlation to that, and disorganization is a is a cause of unnecessary pivoting. True. Can you can you guys stop talking about me now? That'd be great. It's freaking me out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that oh. uh, that uh, PJ is you know his uh, his lack of memory goes well with curiosity because then he can just walk into his own shop the next day and be like, "What is that? Who who left that here? Somebody was painting my vice." Mm. I really do have that problem with organization where I really enjoy organization, but I'm constantly starting over and constantly reinventing it. And it's just a vicious, vicious cycle. Organizing is a good activity when you're pivoting as well, I find. I mean, sometimes when you hit that roadblock and you're like, oh, this this is a dead end. I don't know what I'm going to do next. Uh, just Just cleaning up sweeping the floor and starting to organize lets that subconscious kind of tick away and chew on that, I think, and, and helps with pivoting. Totally. So uh, you guys remember last week I told you I was having a bad week, and one of the things that had happened was a new section of the roof or the ceiling inside the shop started to leak water, and it leaked into several containers full of metal tools. So this was a perfect example of having to pivot things that were stored or were just simply existing in this line of water, which was like, let's say six feet, okay? It wasn't a small area. So now in that six foot line, the things that were there can't exist there anymore. And I'm already like, you know, at capacity. I really don't have a lot of extra room. So now I've had to figure out how to reorganize and re- prioritize what can be in that space where water is possibly going to come back in again until I can get it repaired. And like one of the things that I did was I changed, uh, there was a shelf where things were put, you know, stacked up and I reorganized it so that something that could get wet was on the end. But then as sort of an additional safety measure, I threw a folded tarp over the top of it. So it's not like tarp it's not covered but like on top of it like an umbrella is now a waterproof surface and so it still exists in a slightly different configuration so you're saying if it rained evaporust you wouldn't have a problem <sighs> if it rained evaporust i'd be the happiest man on the planet are you kidding me i just put buckets <laughs> everywhere no you'd be very upset you wouldn't you would never get another deal on a tool for the rest of your life everything would be de-rusted what if it rained evaporust everyone's outdoor stockpile of amazing tool finds would be restored and you would no longer have access to a discount on those items. No, no, no. It just rains evaporust inside my shop. Oh, that'd be super awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Everybody else got to scramble for their own stuff, you know, just just for me. <laughs> rant requests. Well, uh, I want to preface this rant request with something that I'm a bit perplexed about. Last week, I had put out on Instagram basically an advertisement for segment requests. And I want to clarify what that means, because what we've been getting is rant requests. You guys have listened to this podcast enough to know that we have random segments that we change out every week. We don't do the same things. So when I'm asking for segments, I'm asking you guys which segments we've done you want to hear this week, like Ask Old Oswald or Selling a Story, or Now for Some Nonsense. Those are all segment names. And if you don't know the names, all you have to do is look on the Instagram account, and I have them listed as posts with definitions. So in the future, that's what that means. And if any of you are feeling a little bit bad about, uh, you know, kind of being scolded by PJ for not knowing how this <laughs> podcast works, do not Just feel bad. <laughs> Two-thirds of the people on this podcast get the same thing every week for just not knowing exactly what we're supposed to be doing. I am actively not listening right now. This is the point I was trying to make. All right, let's get to the rant request. Okay. Tanda, I think you're funny. We should do a podcast together. I feel, I feel attacked. I feel attacked here. Oh, speaking of attacked, we have a question about uh, taxidermy. And uh, it comes to us from Mayor of Little River, and uh, and the topic is uh, taxidermy. Uh, is it art? Um, yes. I would say it's a hobby. What? Yeah. Well, I would say, I mean, there, there, oh. there are two ways you could take that. I mean, the taxidermy, the skill that the taxidermist employs, or taxidermy hanging on the wall is it art you know something that's already oh. already so i'm not sure what the what the intent of the question was but you could certainly take it both ways i don't know that world very well but i do know that there is a very high high level of skill for doing very rare things i agree and doing museum pieces and doing whatever you want to call that. Now, is a deer on, you know, a deer head mounted to the wall art? I don't think so. I think the only part of that that I would consider art is the craft of getting it to that point. But I feel like there's not enough individualism in that to call it a piece of art. Okay, so I'm going to make this as clear as I can. Everybody has seen guardians of the galaxy and the, and the marvel universe and they've seen rocket the little raccoon spaceman if you were to take an actual raccoon and dress him up like rocket give him a little uniform give him a gun stuff him and mount him you know on a little stand where he could stand somewhere that's art okay you that you've just created some art right there if you just stuff a raccoon that's a hobby. You've, you've performed a skill. I don't think that's art. Yeah, I mean, some of the worst mm. I've seen is, um, you know, people who have who have taken a cow and uh, it, it, and it just is a wallet. It doesn't look anything like a cow. Yeah. I mean, they've just turned it. It just looks like a wallet or a purse. And they haven't even, they haven't even made an effort. They don't put eyes on it. You know, 
they, they no horns, nothing. Making and, my point for me. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but there is, I think it's misunderstood because we think of taxidermy in general. You're like, oh, that's the guy, you know, you bring the deer to the butcher and then you bring the rest of the deer to the taxidermist and he put, mounts it on the wall. That's not, like, there is high, like, high art, I don't know what the word is, of taxidermy. And if you Google it, you'll see it and you'll be like, oh, this is art, not the thing mounted in my den. There, there was this... Uh place that was near where I grew up and this guy was obsessed with hunting all kinds of big game everything and we used to go there as school kids to his exhibit and he had some live animals as well but he had buildings like huge warehouses full of taxidermied big game that originally I think he had shot himself and then he just started collecting it and he had it was like being at a, a taxidermy zoo. There were giraffes, elephants, you know, everything. Bears, alligators, anything you can imagine at this place. And it was, you know, his older years, it was, it was kind of horrible because he would go to these like game hunt places where you could just pay to shoot something. And they would like wheel him out there in his wheelchair, let something out of a cage and he would shoot it. And then you know, take it back to his, his giant taxidermy zoo. But it was, uh, you know, we love to go there as kids, but in retrospect, it's kind of a weird thing that, that you would take a bunch of school kids to, to this giant, uh, person's collection of taxidermy. That is a horrific story, Tanda. And I, I'm going to end this, this part of the, the segment here with, um, well, not the segment, but this particular topic with the definition of art is when you create something that instills an emotional response in the observer. So if you have an emotional response to some taxidermy, then you can consider it art. Me personally, I don't get that. So that's why I don't feel that it is. I feel like that's too low of a bar because I've, I've evoked emotional responses with farts before, and I don't think that's art, even though it's in the word. Do you remember the, uh, the far side? I think it was just like two pain cartoon where the guy is like peering up over, you know, from this blind shooting this bear that's getting a drink of water from a pond. And then the next pain is like the bear taxidermy, like looming out over, over him as he's, he's getting ready to shoot it. I, I don't, I found it. I don't think I've seen that one. <laughs> I found it. I'll, you can post it. <laughs> Tom's a good Googler. He's like a he's like he's like a real time Googler. I'm a hell of a Googler. He's got to be good at something on this podcast, yeah. Tanda. I mean, you know, let's face it. <laughs> this is how I contribute. <clears throat> so, um, I'm going to mention this one, and then we're going to move right on because we're not going to take it seriously. Thrushlund said he wants us to talk about design. The answer is no. <laughs> Tom, you want to hit no. us with the next one? PJ, you've uh, you have a lot on that topic. We're not talking about it until episode 30, so no. Design goes well with everything. Pretty much. <laughs> Except for maybe spinach. Which one am I reading? Wild Man Tech? Yeah. All right. Wild Man Tech says, let's talk about Instagram. What do you love? What do you hate? I hate that they have been auto-following me to accounts I don't care about. I have not experienced that. I don't... Th I mean, I'm, I follow a lot of people that I don't remember following, but I know I did. 
Like, I know I probably met them and then clicked on their thing and followed them. And it's just not something that maybe interests me other than I like them as a person and I want to support them. Have you guys had auto follows happen? Not me. I'm not aware of any. I mean, I, I certainly don't make it through my Instagram feed on a, on a regular basis. I try to go out there. I, I have these little like tricks where, you know, we all know that Instagram is very addictive and is designed to be so. And so I will try to go through a, a long portion of my feed, reading people's posts, commenting, liking before I look at my own stuff, because I, you know, I know that it's uh, kind of this feedback addiction thing to go and, and look mm-hmm. and see, you know, who's saying something about whatever you posted. Um, and so I try to try to give for, you know, a long time scrolling through and seeing what other people are doing before I look at my, at my stuff. But yeah. after you follow a, enough people, you just, I, I, don't, I don't know that I get far enough through my feed to know if there are people being, you know, auto followed on my account. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what I love about Instagram, uh, back to his question is I really enjoy doing stories. I, I think it's the most fun thing because of the interaction that you get. I just wish that stories were rewarded as much as posts in terms of followers. I, I, I just, I know I can probably put hashtags on my stories more than I do, but I really don't want to. Although I have sometimes put them on there and then shrunk them down so small that you can't even see them. Uh, pro tip. But I don't really like taking those those perfect, pretty photos and posting them on there. It's just not my thing, maybe. Hmm. We used to do that back in the day before search engines got more clever. We'd just bury uh, keywords in the same color as the background all over the background so you couldn't even see the background of the web web page i mean the the background was tan and then you put tan words all over it just filled it with keywords right yeah, but they punish that now don't they oh yeah now all of those have have been found out and and aren't yeah. viable anymore but i like instagram i think it's kind of the perfect format for me at least because the the videos and the content and the comments are short and quick to run through and i can just digest it and then go on doing other things. Whereas a YouTube video um, takes more intention. I can't just say, oh, while I'm eating lunch, I'm going to run through a few of these. And so I think it's a, it's a good, good size. Yeah. I think it's more interactive in the sense that you can get like live feedback, you know, within an hour, you can get some responses from people. And honestly, it is, it is an incredible resource for help. Just today I was, I was, I've been messing with my mill and, um, uh, Chris Zepp reached out and told me a few things and then um, we ended up video chatting for a little bit <clears throat> and he walked me through some stuff and problem solving and like that is it's just incredible that you can just get that help instantly and it's quick and short and um, you know you're in and out of a problem very quickly and easily. Yeah, I DM'd Lindsay last night and the response came back like faster than if we were having a back and forth conversation kind of caught me by mm-hmm. surprise. I accused her of being a <laughs> Oh, you can cut that PJ. She told me not to tell anybody. You're not wrong. Uh, <clears throat> by the way, I don't know who Lindsay is. So, but I was, she's, a, she's not a Oh, as far as you know, wait a minute. Is she one of those, um, 
never mind. So for me, Instagram is really about communication. I like instant, not instant feedback, but I like, I like connection. And I find that I get the most connection through Instagram than any other platform. And I know it's not the same for everybody, but as far as being a user, um, I have things pretty clearly divided. I, I put stories are my videos. I don't typically, I don't think on my actual posts, I have any videos. If I do, it's gotta be like less than five. It's gotta be like super low. I just don't, I don't like making videos and putting them as a post. The videos to me are stories. And then the only other thing I do is I put up, if I see something silly on Facebook Marketplace, like somebody's selling like, you know, a half-eaten sandwich, I snapshot it, I put it up in my stories, and I say something dumb about it because it's dumb. And, and that's it. Like, that's my routine. Um, when I go to Instagram, the first thing I do is check stories. I don't check posts because I want to hear people mm. talking to me. I want to see, like, basically, I look at the Instagram stories as, like, my news update. Yeah. Like, I want to know what, what are people up to. Totally. And I'm not really going to find that in posts, for the most part, in, in my opinion. Um, but I do, after, like, if I run out of stories, then I go to the posts. And I'm like, okay, what's everybody, like, what's what's happening that's not like current because that's how i look at it i look at like stories are current posts not so much they're they're you know have you had stories just like pop up and start playing that like instagram thinks they would like you to see i've had that happen you know when i was like in a quiet place or something and i just open up instagram and suddenly some you know viral story will just start playing kind of randomly and yeah. and the volume is on, which is it isn't by default, which is really annoying. That sounds to me like you're on the the search magnifying glass tab, where all the that's where all the viral stuff is. So like whatever you're used to searching for, it's possible I've just searched for someone or something and left it on the search pane, and because mm -hmm. I'll I'll do that. I'll go, you know, someone I haven't heard from in a while, or for whatever reason, Instagram decides to put them way down in the feed or not in the feed or whatever. I'll just be like, oh, I wonder what they're doing. And I'll search for them. Maybe I'm just leaving it in that search window. And then when I open it, it leaps out at me. Most likely. All right, let's move on to the last rant request we have. Tanta, want to hit us with it? Uh, we have a request by function by design, favorite tool and why owned or just lusting after the creation you are happiest with, Skill sets you don't know, but find value in and or want to learn. It's like a whole episode. Tom? <laughs> it is a whole episode. C CNC. Okay. Well, welcome to Maker Skills. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just do one real quick. I, I, I own a MP CNC, a mostly printed CNC, that I have never used. I've had it for, oh man, over five years. And I'm embarrassed, and it is happening soon. But CNC is where I need to go. And I don't just mean like a wood CNC. I mean just CNC in general. Like, what is that? Computer numeric control? Like, all of it. Now, I do that with 3D printing and the laser cutter, but that is that is so simple compared to anything that requires CAM. Computer-aided machining programming, right? 
and I really just need to get there. And every time I dip my toe in, it seems overwhelming and I just can't handle it. But that's any machine that does CNC is my answer. So that's that's the skill you want to pick up? Is that what you're answering? I suppose. I suppose. Is there a favorite tool you wanted to mention? That's what he was also asking. Well, that's what I'm saying. So like my, my CNC machine for cutting wood, but I would love to get a mill, a CNC mill. That would be incredible. Today I saw something that I'll never need, but it was a plasma cutting tube CNC. I don't know what to call it, mm-hmm. but it basically... It, yeah, those are really cool. Yeah, it like self-feeds, like I think it was doing square tube, and it has, it's like a fifth axis probably machine, and it can cut, it can spin the tube and then cut, plasma cut. Oh, it's amazing. It was so cool. I want one for no reason. Who doesn't want one? I'm, that's really the answer. Exactly. You know, question. Clearly. Something. Yeah. Tanda? I think the, I think the tool that I am uh, happiest with is my laser. And it was a very expensive tool. I bought it years ago before the import lasers started kind of hitting the market. And I bought it to specifically mark chips for a specific customer. And it was a big ticket item. And that job went on for a few thousand chips and then they switched back to labels. And I was just stuck with this laser printer. But I have found so many uses that's kind of become digital scissors. I've used it to cut out templates. I use it to cut out business cards. I cut jigs and fixtures with it. I do a lot of marking of parts with it. And it's just been a go-to tool um, to have around the shop that's a way of taking very precise digital artwork and cutting it or imprinting it, you know, making stencils. I've done you know, a huge variety of different things using the laser. So that's probably kind of a surprise tool that was purchased specifically and then just became really versatile, kind of out of necessity because I still had to pay for the thing. And I don't really have, you know, any particular thing that I'm most proud of. I think like Tom, when I finish a design, I'm just happy to be done with it and move on to the next thing and kind of stop being proud of it. I'm I'm proud of it for a few minutes after it's done. And then it's like, wow, that's done. Mm-hmm. And then I move on. So, and as far as skills that I would like to learn, there are many. Um, I'm, I'm doing a lot of uh, kind of physics stuff at work or while well, I'm around it, I'm not really doing it. And, uh, and that has me intrigued with doing some, some more kind of chemistry and, and physics astronomy type stuff that uh, I haven't delved into as much as I would like. Fine. I'll get a laser, Tanda. You could stop talking about it. You bring it up like every episode. No, get a 3D printer. We were very clear about the 3D printer. I'll get one of those too. Um, you can start with a laser pointer. I have one of those. Yeah. See? I got, I, got, I got a laser Work pointer. Work your way up. I've had one of those for a while now. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat because I can for my favorite tool because it's not actually what I was thought I was gonna say. Typically, I think a lot of people pick some tool they have an attachment to or something like that. But I started thinking about it, and I think that the favorite your favorite tool is gonna be the thing that really draws your attention. And I'm gonna have to say bandsaws. Bandsaws are my favorite tool because I have more bandsaws than anything else in my shop. And I like working on them. I like fixing them. 
I, I, I don't know. It's one of the most versatile tools in the shop for me. Um, so I'm going to say that that is tied with vices. And the reason that they're tied is because I don't want to make my own bandsaw, but I want to make my own vices. I want to design and make. I want to fabricate out of steel and cast iron custom vices, things that no one's ever seen before just because they're in my head. And I think for to want to go through the amount of steps it takes to make a vice that not is just functional, but looks like a piece of art, which is what is in my mind. I want these things to be God awful beautiful. You really have to have, you know, that's, that's gotta be like a favorite thing for you, uh, tool wise. Mm -hmm. I, I would have to agree with the bandsaw it being really a versatile, uh, tool around the shop that I came to late. And I remember thinking when I got my bandsaw, how did I live without this mm -hmm. in the shop for so many years? There, it was one of those things where it was just like, man, this is, why did I not even, and I guess I just didn't have access to one growing up and kind of lack of awareness. I, I think that the, I'm going to throw it back to Jimmy Duresta. He was the one that, through YouTube videos, introduced me to the bandsaw. Uh, I, I think prior to that, I knew they existed, but I didn't really understand the functionality and the just the multiple uses. And when I got my first, the first ones I got were terrible because they were bench tops. And bench top bandsaws basically should all be lit on fire, in my opinion. They're they're terrible representation of the tool line. <clears throat> I'll I'll be right back. I got to go light my bandsaw on fire. You should. So, the the benchmark is the fourteen inch. It's very dependable, and you have enough power to do real things. You don't snap blades just because you're pushing too hard. I mean, there's there's so many different benefits, but that was again, like you said, I came late to that. I didn't, I had, I didn't know anybody personally. Like like I I came to bandsaws in my 40s. So for the, like the first 40 something years of my life, I had I didn't know anybody that had a bandsaw. I'd never used one before. Zip. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, hey, did you know there's this amazing thing that could change every single thing you do? No, I, I didn't know that. So the only thing that I will say as far as building a bandsaw, I have thought about making my own, what are they, not a wood miser, but like a, a, a log cutting bandsaw mm -hmm. out of a bicycle mm -hmm. frame. I've thought about doing that, hmm. taking the bicycle wheels and using that as like the, the, the track for, the, for a blade. I might do it. Yeah. I don't know. And then you just get on the bike and pedal. Have someone have someone roll logs underneath you. I actually want it to be electric. I want to hook an electric motor up to it. And uh, the other thing is, I'm going to leave the bicycle drivetrain intact so that it'll be like a 12 speed bandsaw. <laughs> yeah. Why not? I mean, you just yeah. Why not? Yeah. You know, what's the worst that could happen? You know, lose an arm, I'll be fine. You know. <laughs> Uh, and as for skill set, I'm going to copy Tom. I'd love to learn CNCing. I mean, that's actually something I need to learn, I think, in order to get the uh, the vices done the way that I would like to do them. But not, not wood CNCing. Uh, I want to learn metal fabrication CNCing. Definitely. And you can, you can certainly start with uh, casting. Mm-hmm. All right, boys and girls, it's time for short and sweet. Tom, do you have anything you want to wrap up the show with? Yep, two things. Uh, Chris Zepp is on 
Well, it's already three days old, but he is on the show Assembly Required. Uh, April Wilkerson is on that also, but he's on this week's episode, so go to the History Channel. It should be on there by now for free, I believe. You don't need anything to go watch it, so go check it out, support him, and um, I'm excited about that for, for him. And then the other thing is your bicycle thing just made me trigger a really stupid idea that I would like to make real someday, but I want to make a swing, like schoolyard swing set, but the swing is a bicycle and somehow you can pedal to gain momentum. The the back tire just like hits the ground as it goes by and kind of gives you, gives you a little push or... Maybe, well, I would love it to be more like you know, uh, not tethered to the ground in that way. I have no idea how that would happen, but I think that would be awesome. I know how you could do it because it can't be, um, a permanent hard contact because otherwise you'd get jolted off the bike. So what you would do is, um, on the ground, you would mount a, let's say a sort of curved, it's gotta be slightly curved, uh, steel plate. And then that's on springs. So what happens is as the bike is swinging, you have momentary contact, but it gives so that you could keep you could keep like pushing forward, but it's not going to like throw you off the bike every time you hit it because the springs will allow it a little bit of play. Yeah. I was thinking more like a chain, like a bike chain Mm -hmm. that replaces the chain to like hold you up Mm -hmm. and there's a sprocket on the top and somehow that. It can be momentum in one direction, and then it just ratchets in the opposite direction, like a like a bike does. But I don't know. I just think it would be cool, and it should exist. So anybody that wants to make it, go for That's it. That's going to be pretty complicated. I think if you just hung a bike uh, sideways, you know, perpendicular to the direction you're swinging, and just pedaled really hard when it was going in one direction, yeah, and then stopped pedaling when it was going the other direction, that you could get going. Uh-huh. I think the I think the physics is there for that. Really. Yeah. Really? Wait. Are you serious? No, because of I, I think I think so. I think if you were perpendicular to the direction you were swinging and you pedaled really hard, I don't know. I don't know if there would be enough uh, angular momentum to to make you swing, but it would be an interesting experiment. Isn't it? Because like um, movement is ninety degrees out of phase from mm-hmm. the plane of the spinning wheel. Yeah. I, I just figured it out, Tom. Whoa. I figured out what you need to do. Well, okay, somebody listening. We need this experiment con- conducted. <laughs> no, I'm already on. I can't stop thinking about no, this. I figured now. it out. I, I f- it's very simple, actually. All you have to do is hook up like the rear wheel assembly. You hook that up outside of the frame to a fan. So like as you're turning uh-huh. the wheel, yep. it creates the fan it turns the fan and that creates forward motion through air movement. And, you, you know, you go forward, and then you just keep pedaling, and then it just keeps pushing you forward. And the more momentum you get, the fan just keeps pushing you. It's a very simple design, nothing complicated, and it would work. But then it's a fan-powered swing, not a bike-powered swing. I don't like it. <laughs> so picky. So picky. All right, what do you got for short and sweet? Who, me or Tanda? Oh, anybody. I was just getting it away from me. <laughs> Tanda? <laughs> oh... 
I, I don't uh, I don't have much for short and sweet other than a thank you to the people who are are playing along and and sending us information and those of us who have signed up for for Patreon. We're really enjoying the the interaction with everyone and uh, so uh, you know shout out to. Uh, to Marsh out there, Wildman Tech. I know he does a lot of crazy designs where he's having to to pivot and and solve problems. And I'm sure that everyone listening is is the same way. So thanks thanks for everybody listening and and playing along. I'd just like to add an apology to piggyback Tanda's comment. That's all. Thank you. I, I don't even know what that was for. Okay, so for me, uh, I was actually going to mention our our Patreon members as also we. We really don't actively recruit, but I'm going to actively recruit. We need more Patreon members because let's face it, folks, we need help. You know, this these uh, the audio quality here is not going to improve without you guys. Sidebar, you... sidebar, Tom, Tom. I think yeah, I think we've we've gone through this before. Yeah. That I, I think it should just be obvious that we need help. Anyone right. who's listened to at least one episode of the podcast knows we need we need help. I, I'm not sure I'm not sure it's like pat- Patreon type help, but we definitely definitely need help. We definitely need help, and I'm not sure I'm not sure PJ has just come to terms with that yet because he's uh, oh there he is. And for the last time, if you know anyone that is not listening to this podcast, tell them to listen right now. Just so you guys know, we have 250 followers on Instagram. We don't have 250 people listening because we see the numbers. We're averaging, let's say, about 200, roughly, per episode. And that's not every week. That's like we release an episode and after two months it hits 200. So we need more ears. We need more earballs listening to us talk about nonsense so that, you know, we can be entertained too. That's the whole point, isn't it? Uh, but yeah, reach out to people if you think they'd be interested. I know I heard in crosstalk somewhere that there was a thing on Facebook that was listing like the best maker podcasts and it was like making it and a couple other ones and we were like the bottom of the list. And I was like, what list was this? I don't I don't know who these people are. I never found out, but even to be considered, I thought that was kind of nice. Um, and if anybody knows what that list is, please like email me or inbox me or send me a carrier pigeon or something. I- I'd like to read it. I have no idea who else was on there other than making it. And that's it. That's all I got. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maker Skills. If you should need more skill information, you can find us on Instagram at maker.skills. You can also email us at makerskillspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at PJ Galati, son of the junk hunter on Instagram and YouTube. You can find Tanda at Tanda Madison on Instagram. And you can find Tom at Infinite Craftsman on Instagram. We welcome any comments. Please leave us five-star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time. This was made on the fly. I hope you like it. Well, you know, guys, all this talk about pivoting and especially during the pandemic, it's it's bringing me back to one of our camping trips. 
a couple years ago when uh, we all decided to go out to Yosemite together. And we had that really unruly campfire that just kept spitting smoke at everybody. Like it didn't matter where we were sitting, standing. It just, the smoke was, it was like homing in on all three of us, just like randomly. And uh, Tanda came up with the first idea of, of how to deal with it. You want to talk about it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I thought it was, I thought it was a good idea. And uh, basically what we did is we had a vest with us and uh, rounded up some fans out of, uh, out of some computers that we had in the, in the luggage that we'd brought along with us. And uh, basically just made a vest with an inlet that was kind of around your neck. And as the smoke was just about to your face, it would pull it in, run it through the vest and then blow it out the back. And I mean, it seemed perfect. It seemed simple. And and it was working pretty well until we started getting a few embers from the fire kind of coming through. And, and, you know, I mean, we're sitting in smoke. This thing is emitting smoke out your backside. And, and we just didn't even notice that the whole thing was basically, we were all getting roasted. We, we were all getting, getting smoked and sauteed. And it was like, it was like wearing a forge. It was a wonder that we escaped unscathed. I didn't want to, um, <clears throat> I think this is a good time to tell you guys, um, the reason these things were lighting on fire. Yes. Yes. The embers were actually getting into the system, but what was actually happening is they were going through the system and it would exhaust right near, oh, um, your backside. Tom had been eating beans the entire time. Oh, the beans. Yeah. 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 That yes. was we had some of the oddest combinations because it was kind of impromptu, and so we were having like oysters and refried beans, and uh, yeah. Yes, well, yeah. this this led to the worst case of fire we've ever seen. Yeah, and we were delivering the spark right to yeah. it. Yeah, and and fanning the flames to boot. Yeah, yeah. So. It was who, but who would who would have foreseen that? I mean, certainly not me. I didn't. I didn't think that would all kind of coalesce yeah. around uh, around the smoking jacket. I mean, I thought it, it was a cool idea. I I, I like you know have vests that do things. I've, I'm a big proponent. You know, I mean, I I rarely get to wear a vest, so I was like, I thought you know that was the thing. You know, but but then we had to pivot because Tanda's concept was not functioning the way that it was intended to and tom came up with the next idea i thought it was a good idea i mean i i i you know i now see the flaws but my idea was we built a a giant lazy susan or carousel around the fire and on the carousel is where all the chairs were and we left a gap between um you know we'd all sit around it but we'd leave a gap and uh, we had an Arduino-controlled motor that would pivot the entire thing to send the smoke through the gap. Well, yeah, yeah. You had a, we had a fan. We had that big box fan that we were powering with the car battery. And so, if you're picturing like you know four four people on a merry-go-round, only instead of one person, we had the box fan. And so it was just kind of right. sucking all the smoke out that one spot. And it was it was brilliant. I mean. I, my, my car was, you know, kind of not the same after we tore the, the, it wasn't a box fan. It was my radiator fan. Um, but it looked like a box fan. And then we used my battery as well, which was dead after this, but 
but it worked really well, I feel, and until it didn't. Well, I really regret those oysters. We should we should not have brought those. Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't know. Tom, did you ever figure out exactly what caused the malfunction? Well, uh, long story short is we all got motion sickness because the Arduino was just a little too, it wasn't dialed in. It was a little jittery and it kept jerking us back and forth around in a circle. And then uh, at one point, I think something just melted around the circuitry and, and we kind of just went on a ride for, I don't know how long, an hour, a day. I don't know. The saving grace was the smoke sensor. I mean, I don't, it wasn't its intention to put the, the, the like smoke sensor, you know, speed control on the fan. I mean, the, the intention was that the more smoke, the faster the fan and the merry-go-round would go because you need to go faster to get rid of more smoke. But the upside and what really saved us was that when there was no more smoke, it stopped and it's kind of gross, but there was no more smoke after we put out the of, fire, you know, like, like we hurled technicolor yawned the fire. We out. hurled. That's, that's what happened. Yeah. yeah. The projectile yeah. vomiting was definitely not on the menu. Was, well, everything on the menu was projectile vomited. That's well, everything that was on the menu was then on the fire. Yes. Which put it out, which stopped the smoke, which caused the sensor to turn everything off and probably saved our lives. That, I think that's got to be the only tilt-a-whirl that ever existed in Yosemite. That's, I'll tell you that much. Um, mm. mm-hmm. uh, however, we still needed a fire, and it was my turn, you know, which— I just, PJ, I just— um, You know, thinking back, I'm surprised we, we staggered to our feet and tried to make something else— but it just seemed like such a good idea. We had to try. Wow. Perseverance. Before we talk about this third idea of yours, PJ, um, I think we should probably consult legal. So let's talk about it. And then if it's okay to release, we'll, we'll release it. Do you agree? Well, I'll consult legal after the fact. And if I have to bleep anything out, then I'll just bleep it out. You know, th- that's um, it's a little risky. That's all. Well, you know, I control the editing, so it's not that big of a deal, but good deal we had um i mean it seemed like a simple idea to me Uh, the problem was the smoke kept changing directions and i decided it was let's just make it go in one direction let's let's make it go up you know i mean that makes sense if it's going up then it's not going to be going in our faces and we brought one of those pop-up tents the kind that you know you have like when you go to the farmer's market and uh, we also had... Why do you take a tent to a farmer's market? I I wasn't going to say anything, but I'm glad you did. <laughs> to keep the sun off of you? Oh, so you just like camp out there at the farmer's market? No, it's not a camping tent. How long do you shop? I usually just go I usually just go buy something and leave. Tanda, you were there. Yeah. Why are you acting like you didn't see the thing? Oh, no, I saw the thing in Yosemite. I'm just wondering why why the tent is the type of tent you take to a farmer's market. I've never camped at a farmer's market. I'm sorry, I'm getting us off track. It's not a camping tent. It's a pop-up tent. Like it's a square with no sides. It's just got a top on it. Oh. Oh. Oh, that's not I a pop-up tent. I have tent. a totally different image of a pop-up tent. <laughs> oh, what do you call that? I don't know. I'm going to Google it right now and tell it's you. It's a, can- a pop-up canopy, okay? It's a canopy. Is that, canopy? that better? Yeah. So, yeah. We had one there for to get out of the sun, you know? So right. I took the, the material off. So it was just like a big metal frame. It was a 10 by 10 metal frame. 
And I I don't even know why it was in the back of your, your vehicle, but we had one of those little fans that you put on top of a tiny stove and the heat makes the fan turn so that you could, you know, blow the air around. And all I did was kind of, you know, make a little tube enclosure so that it was sort of enclosed and then I hung it from the frame. And, you know, the idea was the heat coming off the fire would make the fan spin and then it would just suck the smoke and blow it straight up, you know, away from us, up in the air. I mean, this this was, I thought that was the simplest, safest thing and, until it uh, turned into a fire tornado. That was a... Uh, that was a little unexpected. That was unfortunate for sure. Yeah, the yeah. fire tornado. It um, we were we were basically camping in a forge. I mean, it only caught like four trees on fire before we got a handle on it. But I mean, still, that was I've never seen anything like that before. And the fan just kept going. I mean, it just it never stopped. I don't understand how that thing was still in you know in operational condition. It was. <laughs> Funny now that I think about it, it's kind of an odd chain of events that that led us to even even having it in the first place. Because I was so nervous about going out and and camping, and and I've camped before, but I'm certainly I'm not the survivalist type that knows all of these you know tricks and things of of the forest. And I had bought this book on uh, you know on survival and stuff, and one of the things it mentioned was uh, that's good to have around, you know, if you have a fire nearby is a canopy. And I thought, oh, you know, I, this is not something, this is something maybe I, maybe it's something you buy. Surely it's not what it sounds like. And I just went to the store and I asked them, I told them I was going camping and, and I needed a canopy and that's what they gave me. And so that's why I had it. Tom, you, you I, I don't even know what to say to that. I'm, I'm speechless. I'm speechless. Yeah. Um, I, I, I I don't know. All I could think about is the fact we had a 40-foot tube of fire going straight up from our campsite. That's that's what I can't get out of my... I'll never, I didn't know that could happen. I think... Uh, yeah. Well, it was sucking brush and stuff in. I mean... Once it got going... Once it got going and we got that up, updraft, updraft going, yeah. it was pulling pulling stuff in. You know, I mean, we were we were holding on to keep from getting sucked in ourselves as small forest animals were flying by. I don't understand exactly the full, you know, physics of thermal dynamics and why that was so strong. I mean, it, but it, there had to be some kind of multiplier. I mean, that was a small fan. And the only thing that was, you know. Yeah, no, I agree. There had to have been a microburst or something that happened and just happened right over the top of our canopy. I mean, the only saving grace was that it finally sucked in the cooler with all the ice. Yeah, because we certainly didn't have anything left to, you know, put it out the way we put out the fire before. You, you know, you know, maybe next time we should probably, um, we should probably not build the fire in the same spot all three times because because the tornado kind of picked up some of the stuff from our second fire and threw it around too. Oh, I, I wasn't going to talk about that, Tom, but thanks thanks for reminding me. Oh. Well, just edit that out. I'm sorry. I, I, I know it's a sensitive subject. People are going to Google that, and they're going to put two and two together and start researching the events of Yosemite about that time. And Yeah, we, we, this is definitely something that has to go through legal. I'm going to talk to, uh, to Jerry, see what he says. 
The intern? Yeah, he's a lawyer. Oh. He's putting himself That's convenient. we're putting him through law school. That's right. Our fa- our five Patreons are paying for something. You he's know? a he's a lawyer in training. <laughs> well, good on him. That's great. But I was also under the impression that Tanda, you were trying to get rid of all traces of what had happened online. I thought weren't you working on that? I I've either got rid of or kind of conflated it with other things on most of them. I'm still working my way through, well, this one and half a dozen others from our antics in the past. They're never going to trace it back to us. There's no way. I mean, we, we, we didn't even go where we told the forest rangers we were going. So there's no way they could know it was us. <laughs> except except for the large tornado of fire that uh, <laughs> I mean, that happened just before we went streaking out of the forest, pulling my broken down vehicle with no battery and fan behind Tom's van. That doesn't prove anything. Well, yeah, other than, yeah, it may have been that we just needed to get back home in a hurry. That's right. You know, I mean, that happens all the time. True. People have to leave the forest in a hurry. I mean, but who, who would, fire, you know. That fire could have been started by a bird. Nobody knows. Probably was. Let's go with that. It was started by a bird. Birds start fires all the time. They get struck by lightning. All they the fall time. from the sky. They're basically just a lump of kindling. Hello, fire bird. That's, where do you think the name comes from? That's right. Yep, exactly. You know, Phoenix, the, the city of Phoenix was like a dense forest before, before a bird got struck by lightning, burned the whole place down. And, uh, and that's that's why they named it Phoenix. That's just an urban legend, Tanda. Yeah, sure they made something. They made it all up. 